Amen. I'm glad to be here today. I am here amongst family and friends and then some more family and some more friends. And so I love you all. And uh, glad to be here. Amen. Let's get right into the word. If you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41 and verse 52. Genesis 41 verse 52 says, and the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. This is Joseph speaking. This is after Joseph has been a slave, sold into slavery by his brethren, betrayed by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison in Egypt, and then made the second ruler of Egypt. He's reunited with his family and gets married and he's having his second child and that's where we read in this verse, and the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And my title today for my message is this, my nickname is Ephraim. And you may be seated. James 5.13 says, is any among you, any among you afflicted? Let him pray. God has a way of getting our attention and getting us on our knees. Amen. Ways we can be afflicted is through material loss, trouble with the law mental torment, just trouble, being lied on, being deceived, and being hated. I know uh, quite a few men in my church, the church that I go to, and there's probably quite a few here, that found themselves in a place of affliction in a prison cell. Amen. And uh, last year in July, I was reading in the book of Psalms 119, where David in verse 67 said, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. In verse 71, he said, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. In verse 75, he said, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right. And that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. Amen. Affliction comes in many forms, but ultimately affliction is any life event that abruptly shakes our spirit to the core. Any trouble that abruptly shakes our soul down to the core. Amen. And and. 
while I was reading in Psalms 119, and I'm reading where King David talked about in faithfulness God afflicted me. I realized that it is God's, it is because of God's affection for us that he will sometimes send one affliction to get our undivided attention. Amen. God, if he has to, will send affliction to get one's attention. Amen. Why? Because God loves us too much to let us continue on in folly. God loves us too much to let us continue on in foolishness or lukewarmness or backsliding. And so God, in his affection, will send affliction to get your attention. It's not, it's not hateful afflic- uh, effect. It's not hateful affliction. It's not angry affliction. It's affectionate affliction. Amen. God does not force his will upon us. I like to say God is a gentleman. God cannot force our desires and force our passions to be what he wants them to be. He can't force our will to be what his will is. And while God cannot force us, God cannot force our will, but he will do everything in his power to break our will. Amen. The very fact that there is evil in the world is proof that God cannot force our will. We all, every human being in the world, has the choice of whether or not to serve God or serve themselves. Amen. God cannot force our will, but he'll do everything he can to break our will. Amen. Things that can cause affliction is lukewarmness. Giving up the fight of faith. Amen. Affliction is a school of virtue. It corrects levity and interrupts the confidence of sinning. And, and But this is not the affliction I want to focus on today. Affliction that comes from sin is not the affliction that I want to preach about today. Amen. Not affliction that comes from the result of lukewarmness. But I want to preach today to some righteous, good old saints of God. A good saint. A faithful saint. Someone who's been a pillar. Someone who's living the way they should be living. Someone who's doing everything as they should be doing. But you find yourself in a place of deep trial and suffering and affliction. Amen. And I don't know how many I'll be preaching to today, but I want to preach to somebody, someone like a Joseph, someone like a Job, who's in a place of affliction and suffering, and it's not your fault. It's not because of anything you've done, but that suffering and affliction has just come your way. Amen. Psalms 34 verse 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, and not one of them is broken. 
Amen. I want to preach about the affliction that there's no explanation for the affliction. And we don't know the reason why it came. Amen. Extraordinary afflictions are not always caused by extraordinary sins, but mostly the trial of extraordinary graces. Affliction comes to us not to make us sad, but to make us sober. Not to make us sorry, but wise. Until iron is thoroughly heated, it's incapable to be wrought. So God sees good to cast men into the furnace of affliction and then beats them on the anvil, on his anvil, into what frame he pleases. Amen. God gets his best soldiers out of the highlands of affliction. And when I think of highlands, Pastor Mayo, I think of the back country of Idaho, where I've elk hunted for many years. On the mountaintops, on the highest peaks of the mountain chains all over our country, but where I've hunted in Idaho, on the highest peaks and the summits and the mountaintops, the highlands, the grass doesn't grow there. It's usually just rock. The tree line is below the mountaintops. As a matter of fact, there's not even water on the mountaintops. For hunters that put their tents and set up camp on the mountaintops, they have to hike all the way down into the valleys to get their water supply and then bring it all the way back up. Mountaintops is where the storms are the harshest. On the mountaintops, you're exposed to the elements, and the weather is unpredictable. It can be snowing and storming on a mountaintop, and just 2,000 feet lower, everything's fine, and the grass is green, and the water's flowing. Amen. Elk and deer and bear and cougar and the wolf and the coyote, they raise their young in the valleys, not on the mountaintops. Life is in the valley. Mountaintops is where the affliction is. Amen. Affliction is like mountaintop storms. In a storm on a mountaintop, I've been in storms. Me and my dad, we were in a storm one time. And uh, we were hunting, and it was sunny in the morning. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we were near the mountaintop, and a storm blew in. And our visibility went from seeing across the, the valley onto other mountains to, to only being our immediate surroundings. And so we had to hunker down under a large tree while a storm raged and hell beat down on the ground around us. And it passed. It was just a short storm, maybe 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and it was over. Amen. And affliction is like the storms on the mountaintops. All you can see when you're in a trial and when you're suffering in the affliction is your immediate situation around you. And you can't see the valley that is before you where if you just continue to walk on, eventually you'll come off the mountaintop and down into the valley where there's life. Now I know, I know I've been raised in church 
And next week is peak. We call it peak. And we call it, uh, you know, we have mountaintop experiences. But in my experience, in the mountains, the mountaintop experiences are the scariest. One year, we, uh, we took horses way back in into, into the mountains there. And we were miles back in. And uh, the horses do all the work. They carry all the gear. And so they lo- the horses lose a lot of weight on a hunting trip because they're not getting all the food they can get. And so it's, you have to be very careful with the horses because if the horses go lame or something happens to the horses while you're in there, then that means you have to pack everything out. And hopefully you don't have to put a horse down while you're in the backcountry. And so one day we decided... Pastor Scott Bobo decided, let's hobble the horses. Let's put hobbles on the two, uh, let's put hobbles on the lead mare and on the gelding. And then the other horses will just stay with them. And let's leave the horses hobbled overnight. Let's take them off of the high line and let them just feed in the meadow near hunting camp. And we'll let them feed all night long. And normally we never did that. We would always let them feed while we're eating dinner. And then before we went to bed, we would grab the horses, and they would generally be within a few hundred yards of camp. And we would put them back on the high line, and we would go to bed. And the horses would stay on the high line all day long until the following night when we would come back from hunting. Well, this particular night, we decided to, we figured, you know what? The horses are going to stay right near camp all night. There's plenty of grass in this big meadow next to our camp. And so we hobbled the horses, and we went to bed. And the next morning... When we woke up, there were no horses. And my dad and another pastor that was there, brother Pastor Scott Bobo told him, you guys go ahead and go hunting. Me and David will go get the horses. I'm sure they're within a, a mile of camp. And so my dad and the other pastor, they went off elk hunting. And there was no storm in camp. Everything, it was a normal, nice morning. And so me and Pastor Scott Bobo, we left our bow and arrows in camp. We left our backpacks in camp. We left our jackets in camp because there was no storm where we were at. And we proceeded to track the horses. And because two of the horses were hobbled, they had to travel like this with their front feet, which made tracking very easy. And so we tracked the horses 500 yards, and then a mile, and then a mile and a half, and we still didn't hear anything, and we still couldn't see anything, and the horses were headed way back up into this canyon, and, and Pastor Scott Boba, they're his horses, and he began to get worried, and when he got worried, I really started getting worried, and we tracked these horses two miles, and then three miles, and then we were hoofing it, and we're heading up this basin, going up, up, up. We went up about 3,000 feet in elevation. We had left our backpacks and our water and our jackets in camp because we figured we would just be back in camp within 30 minutes. And we made it to the pass, and Pastor Scott Bobo, because we were going so fast, and Brother Bobo was panicked because 
horses. There are horror stories of horses getting lost in the backcountry. And then uh, horses will panic too sometimes. And there's been stories of horses falling off of steep cliffs and trails and breaking their leg. And then all of a sudden you're stuck in the backcountry and it's a nightmare getting out. And it's a bummer when you lose a horse or horses. And so Pastor Scott Bobo got cramps and he laid on the ground. He said, David, keep tracking them. Keep going. I'll catch up with you. And this, so I kept going. And I was scared, and I was nervous. And as I ascended up to the tops of this mountain chain, following the tracks, the higher we got, the harder the dirt and soil was because we were getting into the rock and the granite of the mountaintops. And lo and behold, of all days, of all times, a storm moved in. And I was just wearing a thin little shirt, and I'm hiking through there following the tracks. And at times, I couldn't see the tracks because it had turned to rock. But I saw the general direction the horses were going. And by looking at the topography of the land around me, I just figured they've got to be going that direction into that place. And what's so funny is I walked right up on a big six-point bull. And I'm yelling, Duchess! Duchess is the lead mare. Duchess, because sometimes she would come running to her name. And there's this bull, Pastor Mayo, 50 yards away from me in a meadow. He knew I didn't have a bow. He knew I couldn't shoot him. He was feeding in the meadow and just watched me as I'm screaming, Duchess, I promise. And so I continued past this bull. <laughs> 12 miles later, and freezing cold, we found the horses. And when we found the horses, I got on, I, I got on Dutch's bareback, and I took the hobbles off of the other gelding. And as long as I could lead Dutch's, I knew all the, the rest of the herd would follow. And so I jumped on Dutch's bareback, and we started uh, headed back towards camp. And another horse named Honey, she's a devil. She got in front of Dutch's and went to kick Dutch's and kicked me right in my shin. So I felt like I had a broken leg. <laughs> and I'm totally getting off track, but I'm having fun telling the story. And so I almost got a broken leg, but we made it back to camp and everything ended up okay. Everything was fine. And then when we got to camp and we were putting the horses on the high line, honey reached over while I was tying her on the high line and bit a huge chunk of skin right out, of, right out under my neck. Yes, just like the devil. And so, but I said all that to say mountaintops represent affliction. And when you're in a storm, you can't see far. When you're in affliction, you can't see beyond your immediate situation. Amen. And the devil, and here's the thing, when we're in affliction, we may not always know the reason for the storm. We, we may not always know the reason why we're in a trial. You've been doing everything you should be doing. And the trial is not a, affliction where God's trying to get your attention. You, God already has your attention. You're living for him. You're faithful. You're living for God. You're being faithful to the kingdom of God. 
And we may not always know the reason for the affliction, but one thing is certain, and that is we have to respond in affliction. We will respond one way or another while we're in the storm. And the devil knows that we have to respond. And the devil wants us to respond by giving up and just believing the lie that our current situation is going to be our future. The devil wants you to believe that your affliction in your current situation is going to be your destiny and that's the rest of your life. But I've come to preach to somebody today. I've come to preach to somebody today that when you are in your affliction, you can be fruitful and you can have great faith and have spiritual wealth in the land of your affliction. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Joseph, when I think of Joseph, I think of a dreamer. I think of a wise man. These are the thoughts that come to my mind when I think of Joseph. I think of wisdom. I think of a dreamer a visionary, and I think of, obviously, the second most powerful man in the world at that time. Egypt was the world power. And Joseph was, as a 17-year-old boy, was sold into slavery by his brothers. His brothers hated him and were jealous and envious of him, and so they sold him into slavery. Joseph didn't do anything to deserve that treatment. He was innocent. I like to think of him as I like to think of him as just a good, godly young man. And he was sold by his brothers into slavery. And then those people who purchased him took him into Egypt. And he ended up in prison in Egypt. He was lied upon even while he was in Egypt. And he ended up spending going to prison while he was in Egypt. And from the age of 17 years old until he was 30 years old, he suffered affliction. And it wasn't his fault. It was for nothing that he did. And he suffered affliction. But Acts chapter 7 verse 9 says, And the patriarchs moved with envy. They sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him. Everybody say, but God was with him. And delivered him out of all his afflictions. And gave him favor and wisdom. Joseph didn't even realize while he was in the season of affliction that he was bearing fruit. Amen. Joseph went through affliction and he had to respond in the affliction. Peter had a mountaintop experience when he suffered affliction from Satan. Amen. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, the Bible says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Satan, the reader, the reason for Peter's suffering, asked permission to hammer on Peter like a rock. But notice what happens next. Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith wouldn't fail. And when he turned back, 
he would strengthen the brethren. Amen. Peter emerges from this affliction, severely chipped, but not shattered. Satan's request was granted, but so was Christ. Peter not only survived, but his faith was strengthened, and he went on to do the good work of strengthening his brethren. Hallelujah. In Psalm 66, verse 10, the psalmist said, For thou, O God, hast proved us. Sometimes proving is hard. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net. Thou laid affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. Woo. I think of an old quartet song. When I, re- when I read that scripture, I thought of an old quartet song. That says, I'm rich in faith and hope and love. I got more than my share. I'll be moving to my mansion just over in glory where I'm a rightful heir. He has redeemed and forgiven me of all of my sins. He took me in. He's building me a mansion beyond compare. Hallelujah, I'm a millionaire. Woo! I'm just preaching to somebody today. That there is fruitfulness and there is great faith and there is spiritual wealth in the middle of your trial. I just want to preach to a saint of God who's been faithful and you've been given and you've been living the way you should be living. And I've come to tell you today that you're going to bear fruit in the middle of your trial. You're going to inherit spiritual wealth in the middle of your affliction. Hallelujah. So go from surviving and barely hanging on in the trial to great faith and fruitfulness. Because your affliction is not what determines your future. It's your response to the affliction that determines your future. It's your response to the affliction that defines you. So whether you're a a precious saint of God who's been in this for years or whether you're a new convert and, and your walk with God is a fresh new thing, just know this, your affliction is not what defines you. Whatever trouble brought you to God, whatever trouble brought you to the house of God, whatever it was that God used to get your attention, I want you to know that trouble is not what defines you. That trouble is not what determines your future. It's your response to the affliction that determines your future hallelujah in a storm you can't walk by sight you have to walk by faith we love talking about faith but then when we have to use it it's hard and it's not fun walk by faith and not by sight hallelujah your affliction is temporary hallelujah Ruth The Bible says that Ruth, the great, great, great grandma of Jesus Christ, the Bible says Ruth was a Moabite. The Moabites came from Lot and his incestuous relationship with his daughters. So essentially, Ruth came out of Sodom and Gomorrah 
And she did not let her family tree hinder her. She did not let where she came out of and her heritage, the fact that she was a Moabite, a descendant of an incestuous relationship, she did not let that determine her future. But she responded, though, even though she was a Moabite, she responded in faith. She decided, you know what? In spite of where I come from, I want to live for God. Because my past does not determine my future. My response determines my future. Hallelujah. Moses. When I think of Moses, the first thoughts that come to my mind is the law. I think of, I think of the greatest leader. I've been taught Moses was one of the greatest leaders to ever live. He led the children of Israel. But one day it dawned on me. Even though Moses was, bo Moses was born of a Jew. And even though he was even weaned by his mother. His mother was able to take care of him until some people believe 12 years old or so. It dawned on me one day that Moses... We know he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, and he lived in Pharaoh's house until he was 40 years old. There's no question in my mind, being raised in a sinner's home, being raised by pagans who had pantheons of gods, where he was educated, and, and like us, some of us who go to college and were fed and brainwashed a bunch of junk and doctrines that are anti-Christ, There's no question in my mind, Moses suffered and endured the same affliction. But there came a time in his life, when I think of Moses, I don't think of him living in a pagan home. I think of him as a powerful man of God. And it's because he did not let the affliction of his 40 years being raised in a sinner's home determine his future and his destiny. But he chose to live for God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Saul, Saul, the one who persecuted the church, he was a Jew of Jews, and he was zealous but without knowledge. And he persecuted what he thought was a blasphemous, false church. But when I think of Saul, I don't think of that. I think of one of the greatest preachers, one of the greatest apostles. Amen. And, and one day, he was afflicted with blindness. Amen. And his response to the affliction is what determined his future and his destiny. Hallelujah. You know, let's all stand. Hallelujah. Affliction has a way of breaking us. And what's so beautiful is God, he can use broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop. It takes broken clouds to produce rain. It takes broken grain to make bread. And when I think of the ultimate perfect example of affliction and brokenness, I think of Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah said that Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows. 
He was acquainted with grief. He, he mentions words like stricken, afflicted. The music can come. Wounded, bruised, chastised, grieved, and an offering. This last word gives us the reason for his suffering. It was to be a sacrifice for you and for me. And even Jesus, when you think about it, even Jesus had to respond to his coming affliction. And we see that response in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But even ultimately, Jesus Christ responded the right way. Jesus' ministry on earth was great and impactful. But his ministry became world-changing up to this day after the point of his highest affliction, which was Calvary. And I've come to tell somebody at Cornerstone in Spokane, Washington, that if you are at a high point of affliction, hang in there, keep on walking, because a powerful anointing and a more effectual ministry and a more powerful walk with God is coming when the affliction is over. Hallelujah, great glory is right around the corner if you'll just stay faithful. Look at your neighbor and say, trust God in your affliction. Take affliction one day at a time. Don't give up on prayer. Don't give up on fasting. As a matter of fact, get more involved with the kingdom of God if you find yourself in a trial and in suffering. See how you can get more involved by assisting the church and teaching Bible studies. When you're in your affliction, if you'll just keep walking by faith, you don't have to do anything fancy. There's no tricks to it. You just keep on walking and walking by faith and living for God. And then someday you'll realize the storm is gone and you'll look back and say, my goodness, look at all the fruit that I bore. Look at all the wealth that I've acquired in my spirit. Can we lift our hands and pray right now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, we thank you today. God, we're, we have a made-up mind. We're going to trust you no matter what we go through, no matter what comes our way. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm opening this altar. If you want to come and pray. Hallelujah. God, no matter what comes my way. God, no matter what comes my way, I'm going to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Oh, come on. Why don't you invite somebody, bring somebody with you. This is a perfect altar call where we can all come and find a place to receive strength from the Spirit of God here today. Maybe you're here today and you don't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God 